definitely uh, slow down a little bit. Well, we are going to be in Isaiah chapter 9 tonight. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 8, going through the fourth verse of the tenth chapter. chapter 9 and so we've already mentioned a few prayer requests Danny did Danny feel better today he had a better day than last night or he's still still not well all right so Isaiah chapter 9 verse 8 uh, we have kind of come to the end of the uh, Emmanuel prophecy that began in chapter 7 verse 14 uh, Isaiah talks about uh the coming child, the coming son that will be the king, that will be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace who will have the government on his shoulders. And uh, for the first time in all of human history, there will be a good and righteous government and uh, there will be uh, justice and truth and that that kingdom will never come to an end. And so with the, the verse 7, chapter 9, verse 7, where those... Um, that promise is given, then Isaiah then turns his attention back to the immediate crisis and pronounces God's word of judgment against Israel. Um, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 8. The Lord sent a word against Jacob, and it has fallen on Israel. All the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitant of Samaria, who say in pride and arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild it with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. Therefore the Lord shall set up the adversaries of resin against him and spur his enemies on. The Syrians before and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with an open mouth. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. For the people do not turn to him who strikes them, nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. Therefore the Lord will cut off the head and the tail from Israel, palm branch and bulrush, in one day. The elder and the honorable, he is the head. The prophet who teaches lies, he is the tail. For the leaders of his people cause them to err, and those who are led by them are destroyed. Therefore... The Lord will have no joy in their young men, nor have mercy on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is a hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. For wickedness burns as the fire, it shall devour the briars and the thorns and kindle in the thickets of the forest. They shall mount up like rising smoke. Though the wrath of the Lord of hosts, through the, the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land is burned up, and the people shall be as fuel for the fire. No man shall spare his brother, and he shall snatch on the right hand and be hungry. He shall devour on the left hand and not be satisfied. Every man shall eat the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh shall devour Ephraim, and Ephraim Manassas. Manasseh. Therefore they shall be against Judah. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, 
who write misfortune which they have prescribed, to rob the needy of justice and to take what is right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey and that they may rob the fatherless. What will you do in the day of punishment and in the desolation which will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help and where will you leave your glory? Without me, they shall bow down among the prisoners and they shall fall among the slain. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. All right, so uh, one of the ways that we can interpret Scripture is we look for words or phrases that are repeated. Did you notice a, a phrase or a sentence repeated throughout this particular text? His hand is stretched out still. That's right, verse Verse 12, for all this anger, for all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Verse 17, verse 22, or 20, 21, and then chapter 10, verse 4. So four times the prophet repeats this word of judgment. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. And so we see that that is the the point of this passage, and so it also kind of shows us the outline. So there are four announcements of cause and effect. What the people have done, how they have sinned, how they have rebelled against God, and the result, the effect, the consequence of their sin, God's judgment or God's discipline upon them. So, so we'll see four uh, cause and effect. For action and reaction, for sin and its consequences in this particular text. And each of those sections concludes with that repeated phrase, For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. All right, so who is this word of prophecy against? Who? Israel, that's right. And, and in fact, we have four titles... For Israel, uh, Jacob, Israel, Ephraim, and Samaria. All right, you see that in verse in verse eight. The Lord said a word against Jacob. It's fallen on Israel. All the people will know. Ephraim and the inhabitant of Samaria. All right, so uh, how, how are all four of these names about the, same, uh, about the same people? Who is Jacob? Father of Israel, that's right. Jacob was the younger son of Isaac and Rebekah. Remember, Esau and Jacob were born, but the Lord had prophesied and chosen Jacob, the younger son. Uh, the older will serve the younger. And so God chose Jacob. And uh, Esau loved the things of this world and changed his birthright for a, a pot of porridge. And uh, Jacob took the blessing from his father. And Jacob became the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, the father of the nation. Uh, and, uh, and, and so that's, that's Jacob. Who, who is Israel? 
All right, Jacob. Jacob's name is changed because Esau wants to kill him. Jacob flees, and as he is coming back to the promised land to, uh, 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 to have an encounter with Jacob, he spends the, the night wrestling with God, and uh, uh, he wrestles with God. He's not over to, able to overcome him, and uh, uh, Jacob uh, tells the Lord, I'm not going to uh, let go of you until you bless me. And the Lord blessed him and also touched his hip and changed his name to Israel, which means wrestles with God, struggles with God. So Jacob is renamed Israel, and that becomes the, the name of the, the nation. All right, who is Ephraim? All right, Ephraim is the younger son of Joseph. And the older sons mentioned over in verse 21, Manasseh. So Joseph has two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and similar to what happened to Jacob and Esau, the Lord chose the younger to be preeminent. And as Jacob was on his deathbed, he came to bless his sons. Well, first, Joseph was his, uh, his favorite, <laughs> and the, he was the firstborn of his favorite wife, the firstborn of Rachel, even though he was, I, I don't even know what number of, he was being born. He was way down there somewhere, like, like I, I can't remember. I have to go back to Genesis and remember. But, so he, but he was the firstborn of Rachel. After Jacob had had four sons from Leah and, and sons from Rachel's handmaid, I think two, and then two from Leah's handmaid. So that makes, what, eight? So maybe Joseph was nine, maybe? I can't remember. But anyway... Jacob chose Joseph to have the right of the firstborn, which would mean that he would receive a double inheritance. And so the way that Joseph would get the double inheritance is that it would be passed down to Joseph's sons. So Ephraim and Manasseh become tribes of Israel because Joseph receives a double portion. And when Joseph brought his sons in to be blessed by their father, by his father, by Jacob, who was receiving them as their own, he crossed his arms and put his right hand on the head of the younger and the left hand on the head of the older, making the older preeminent, just as God had done with Jacob and Esau, and, and that was Ephraim. And so Ephraim becomes the primary tribe in the, the northern kingdom. Judah's the primary tribe of the 12, but that separates off. Ten tribes go to the north, and now Ephraim is the preeminent tribe of, uh, of, uh, of Israel. And uh, some key people who were uh, um, descendants of Ephraim, um, I thought I put in my notes. Um, Joshua was of the tribe of Ephraim. Samuel, the last of the judges, was of the tribe of Ephraim. And Jeroboam the first, the first king of the northern kingdom, was of the tribe of Ephraim. So there were some key, uh, the key folks. All right, so what's the significance of, so, so Ephraim, because it's the preeminent tribe, is used interchangeably with the nation of Israel. Sometimes it's called Israel, sometimes it's called Ephraim. Uh, but usually when they talk about Ephraim, it's talking about the whole northern kingdom, those whole ten tribes, because the preeminent tribe 
Ephraim and the first king, Jeroboam the first, came from that tribe. All right, so what is the significance of Samaria in the Old Testament? That's right, it's the capital city of the northern, the northern kingdom. It is the seat of political power in Israel, but unlike Jerusalem, which is the seat of political power and religious power in Judah, the political power and religious power in the northern kingdom is divided. Political power is at Samaria. That's where the king lives, where the, the, the palace is, the throne room, the seat of government. But the seat of worship is where in the northern kingdom? Jeroboam the first set him up at Bethel and Dan. Religious one in the south, one in the north to keep the people so the people wouldn't have to go to Jerusalem to worship. He made alternate parts, places of worship. And so Samaria is the seat of power. So, so the prophet uses four different <laughs> names for the nation of Israel to make sure <laughs> that it's clear who the Lord is talking about. So he is talking about Israel. And so this is a word of judgment against Israel. Remember, Israel and Syria have allied together and come and laid siege to Jerusalem in an attempt to overthrow Ahaz, the son of David, the king of Judah, to install a king that will jo join them in their fight against Assyria. And so, uh, so this is, and, and, and so far the prophet has preached a message of hope to Judah it's going to be bad, but Israel and Syria, it's not going to succeed. But because you have turned to the king of Assyria, there's going to be darkness. He's going to attack, but ultimately there will be deliverance. And the deliverance will come from a child, a son that will be born of a virgin. His name will be Emmanuel, and you'll also call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All right, so there is this message of temporary judgment on Judah, but ultimately hope. And now the prophet turns his attention and announces this word of judgment against Israel. And we see four cause and effect, four sins of the people and God's response to that sin. So there's four, uh, four of that pair in this particular text. And we know when it changes from the repeated statement, for all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. So the first, uh, what, do, what do you think might be the first sin in verse 9 that, uh, that, that the Lord's going to respond to? Pride and arrogance, that's right. Uh, the people of Jacob, Israel, Ephraim, Samaria, they say in pride and arrogance of heart. Right, so they have a higher opinion of themselves than they ought. <laughs> they think, they think uh, more of themselves than they should. They are proud. They are arrogant. They overestimate their own capabilities. They are unteachable. And they think they are better than they are. And then uh, he, he explains that. So they, they, in pride and arrogance, what do they say? The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones the sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. All right, so 
What do you think is more valuable? Mud bricks or hewn stone? Yeah, if you're going to build a house, it'd be more expensive to build a house out of hewn stone than mud bricks. What about sycamores or cedars? Which is better? The cedar tree. So, so they're saying, so what has happened is Israel has experienced, will experience the Lord's discipline. They had houses of mud bricks. They had sycamore trees. But because of their pride and their arrogance, God disciplined them and sent an enemy force, or is going to send an enemy force that will tear down their mud brick houses and cut down their sycamore trees. And the nation of Israel says, well, we're going to build back better. <laughs> we're going to build back better. Yep, the, uh, the army has come and destroyed our mud brick houses, but we're going to build back houses of hewn stone. They've come and cut down our sycamore trees, but we're going to plant cedar trees. And so the enemy army came as a result of God's discipline, trying to get their attention, trying to uh, get them to see the error of their ways. And he brings this destruction so that they will turn to him and repent. But instead of repenting, they overestimate their own capabilities. Well, the enemy's come to destroy us, but we're going to build back better. We're going to build houses of hewn stone, and uh, we're going to plant cedar trees. And so they're, they're arrogant, they're prideful, they're unteachable. They did not respond to the Lord's discipline. Instead, they had a higher opinion of themselves than they ought, and they thought that they would now be able to build back better. They're confident in their ability. They do not see this as the Lord's discipline. And they do not turn to him in repentance and faith. Instead, they put confidence in themselves and pride and arrogance. And so, uh, we see the word therefore in verse 11. Therefore, the Lord shall set up the adversaries of resin against him and spur his enemies on. All right, who is resin? King of Syria, that's right. And who is the enemy of resin at this time? Assyria, that's exactly right. So remember resin and Pekah, the king of Israel, they have allied themselves together against the king of Assyria and come against Judah in an attempt to get Judah to join their alliance. And so the adversary of resin is the king of Assyria. And so the Lord is going to set the adversaries of resin against him. Ahaz is all worried about Syria and Israel, and he's reaching out to Assyria to help him, but instead of helping Israel, Assyria is going to come and destroy them. And, uh, and where does the... So the adversary, who raises up the, uh, the, the enemy? Who raises up the, the adversary? Where does this oppression, where does this, this come from? The Lord. The Lord does it. And so the Lord is going to bring Syria, Assyria against Israel and they will be destroyed. And, uh, um, and if you can think of a map of the, the Middle East, remember that uh, red air means enemy avenue of approach. 
Remember that Assyria is in modern-day Iraq, Nineveh. This is Mosul today. The Tigris and Euphrates River. And you have uh, Syria, Israel, and over here on the coast, you have the Philistines. And they have five cities, one of which is Gaza. And so what the prophet says the adversaries of Rezin are going to rise up against Israel, the Syrians before, and then the Philistines behind. And so as this enemy comes, Israel right here, they're going to be taken out just like Syria before them and the Philistines after them. And so that's, that's what he means when he says that the, 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 he'll spur his enemies on the Syrians before, the, the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with an open mouth. And so uh, they were proud and they were arrogant. And so the Lord is going to send an enemy army, the Assyrian army, to uh, destroy them um, with an open mouth. Now, Israel is going to be swallowed up by this enemy army. Will that fill up the wrath of the Lord? Will the Lord's wrath be satisfied? Is his judgment complete? No. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. All right, so then that moves us to the second cause and effect. For the people do not turn to him who strikes them, nor do they seek the Lord of the host. So, so this discipline, again, they're unteachable. This discipline comes. The Lord has raised up the Assyrian army, and they do not turn to him for deliverance. They do not turn to him for rescue. They don't seek the Lord of hosts, the commander-in-chief of the armies of heaven and the armies of the earth. Therefore, the Lord will cut off head and tail from Israel, palm branch and bulrush in one day. And so this is a literary device, the head and the tail, uh, and the, the images, everything in between. You know, total destruction, complete destruction. The head and the tail, and that's a literary way of saying everything. From, we, and we do that too, from head to toe, right? We say from head to toe, that means the whole person, the whole body. Well, that's head to tail. And uh, palm branch to bulrush. Well, a bulrush is a little plant that grows kind of in the water like a, like a reed. And then the palm branch is the towering tree so again from top to bottom total destruction destruction will be complete it will be total from head to tail and then the prophet changes the metaphor uh, he, he uses head and tail to to talk about the uh, uh, the complete destruction but then in verse 15 he uses the head and the tail to talk about authority the elder and honorable he is the head the prophet who teaches lies, he is the tail. All right, so this is kind of an interesting image um, of a dog. What's more important, the head or the tail? The head. 
right? And, and what determines the direction that the animal will go, the head or the tail? The head leads, the tail follows, right? <laughs> and so, so the, uh, the head wags the tail, leads the tail. The head is the authority. And, uh, and so who is the head? The elder and the honorable. Who is the tail? The prophet who teaches lies. All right, so um, Israel's sin here is they follow ungodly rulers. Who should be driving the train? The elders or the prophets? Yeah, it, it, that, that's what's happening. But who, who, who should be directing the direction that the elders go? What's the role of the prophet? Yeah, to speak the word of the Lord. And so the prophet should speak to the king and tell the king the direction that they ought to go. Speak truth to the king. If the king is going off in a wrong direction, if he's leading the people in wickedness, if he's oppressing, uh, going against the law of God, it's the prophet's job to come and tell him to change course, to change direction. The prophet should be leading the king by speaking forth God's word, like Isaiah is to Ahaz. But what's happening? The prophet, instead of speaking truth to the leaders, is being led by the rulers and therefore speaking lies. So the prophet is telling the ruler what he wants to hear. Not telling him the truth, but telling him things that are going to make him feel good. Or more significantly, the prophet is telling the people what the ruler wants them to hear. Instead of speaking the truth, he's speaking lies, misinformation, false information. And telling that the king is good, he's doing the right thing, when really the king is being wicked. And so the second sin is they are following ungodly rulers. The rulers are leading them, not according to the word of God, but putting pressure on the prophets to lie and to not tell the truth. And so the prophet is, the, 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 the ruler is wagging the prophet and telling him what message he needs to preach and not preach the word of the Lord. In verse 16, the leaders cause these people to err and those who are led by them are destroyed. All right, so the second sin, the first sin is their pride and their arrogance. Their second sin is they are following ungodly, wicked leaders. Their leaders are leading them to destruction, and they're just blindly following along. Following along the lie of the prophets. And so God is going to cut off head and tail, palm branch and bulrush, bulrush, the elders, the honorable ones are going to be cut off. The, wag, the wagon prophets, they're going to get cut off from top to bottom, rich, poor, first and last. All of them will be caught up in this destruction. And then verse 17. Therefore the Lord will have no joy in their young men, nor have mercy on their fatherless and widows. And that's, that's actually kind of a shocking statement. 
You know, we read through the scripture or we could spend all night looking at passages that talks about God's tender kindness toward the powerless, the orphan, and the widow. And those who are powerless in society, don't have anybody to take care of them, nobody to provide for them, nobody to protect them, nobody to care for them. We read over and over and over in the scripture that God has compassion on the widows and the orphans. He shows special tender kindness to them. He protects those who have no one else to protect them. He provides for those who have no one else to provide for him. But the situation has gotten so bad in Israel that the Lord is not even going to have mercy on the orphans and the widows. The whole nation from top to bottom, powerful to powerless, rich and poor, honorable, dishonorable, they will all be swallowed up in destruction. The Lord will have no mercy on their young men, no mercy on their fatherless, no mercy on the widows. Why? Because everyone is a hypocrite and an evildoer and every mouth speaks follow. God's folly, God's wrath will come on all of them as an act of his judgment. And God does what is right and good and true and righteous. And uh, he is not showing mercy. Instead, he is showing judgment, giving what they deserve, what they have earned, because they're all hypocrites, they're all evildoer. Israel has rotted and it's rotted from the root. And so there will be total destruction, no mercy. The whole nation will be swallowed up. Why? Because they followed ungodly, wicked rulers, and those ungodly, wicked rulers led them to destruction. All right, so it's going to be swallowed up, top to bottom. Not even the orphans and the widows are going to be saved. Is that going to fill up God's wrath? Is judgment done? Is Is that it? Is wrath satisfied, turned away? Nope. For all his anger, all this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is stretched out. Because there's another cause and effect. Wickedness burns as the fire. It shall devour the briars and the thorns and kindle in the thickets of the the forest. They shall mount up like rising smoke. Through Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land will be burned up and the people shall be as fuel for the fire. All right, so the, the picture here is, is an enemy army coming and laying siege, burning everything that is of value, burning the food, burning the crops, burning all of these things, laying siege, not letting food and water in, similar to what's happened to, to, to Jerusalem now, similar to what's happened to Gaza as we speak. Um, and, uh, um, and so there's going to be siege, and everything's, all the food's going to be burned up, and there's going to be starvation, And because of the starvation, the people, their greed, they will lose their natural affections. And no man will spare his brother. And his pride and his greed, he'll snatch on the right hand, but he won't find enough to satisfy him. He'll devour on the left hand and not be satisfied. And the siege is going to be so bad that every man's going to eat the flesh of his own arm and brother will turn against brother. Manasseh shall devour Ephraim and Ephraim and Manasseh, and they will all be against Judah. So siege and greed that cancels out natural affection, I'm going to 
take what my brother has and try to satisfy my needs, even if I have to eat my brother, <laughs> I'm going to do that. Uh, and so there's no natural affection, and so the fire of God's wrath will burn up everything. Does that fill it up? Wrath satisfied? Judgment complete? Nope. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. There's still another reason for his judgment and another consequence. And, and he's, already, he's talked about the people who follow ungodly leaders. Well, now he talks to the ungodly leaders themselves. So the leaders are leading the people to destruction, and because they're blindly following these wicked leaders, listening to the lying prophets, nobody speaking truth, nobody calling these leaders to a to accountability, nobody calling them to repentance, nobody exposing their evil and their wickedness, just going along with the lies, being wagged, being followed along these leaders, they're going to be destroyed. But now he speaks a word to the leaders themselves. Verse, chapter 10, verse 1, Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, who write misfortune, which they have prescribed. And interesting, the, the contrast here with verse 17 of chapter 9. They rob the needy of justice, take what is right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey, and that they might rob the fatherless. And so they're being judged for the way they had oppressed the widow and the fatherless, and yet uh, they too are corrupt, and they will not escape God's judgment. And so now this judgment is for those who have made unrighteous laws, unjust laws, have used the power of the state, the power of the government to oppress the needy, and to steal from the poor and to rob the fatherless. They have exploited the powerless and the needy. And what's the effect? What will you do in the day of punishment, you powerful people, you govern, governing officials who make unjust laws? What are you going to do in the desolation which will come from afar? To who will you flee from help? Where will you leave your glory? Without me they shall bow down among the prisoners and they shall fall among the slain. The leaders are going to be taken captive or put to death when the enemy comes. And then he repeats, for all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. And so the prophet speaks to Ahaz, he speaks to Judah about the judgment that is to come on Israel. Um, and this is not just for Judah to gloat over their enemies, but it's a word of warning. Don't go the same way. Don't do the same things. Don't ignore the Lord's discipline and in your pride and arrogance think that you're going to build back better. Don't follow ungodly leaders like Ahaz. The ungodliness that you read about in 2 Kings 16, 1 Chronicles 28, and, and who has lying prophets, don't follow him. Don't let him lead you to destruction. Don't turn on your brother and lose that natural affection because of your greed. And you who are in charge, don't make rules. Don't make unjust laws that enable you to get rich off the backs of the poor. Don't do that. And so it's a word of warning to, Ju to Judah and a word of judgment on Israel. 
And he teaches us that God not only holds leaders account for their actions, he holds people responsible and accountable for following ungodly leaders. He disciplines his people to train them and to teach them the error of their ways so that they might come to repentance. God disciplines his children. He sends his judgments upon his people, tearing down their mud houses, cutting down their sycamore trees so that they will turn to him, raising up enemy armies so that they will turn to him, so they will cry out to him. But instead, in their arrogance and their pride, they think they're going to build back better. They follow ungodly leaders that lead them to destruction and so God disciplines his people, and he tells us to be teachable. When that discipline comes from his hand and judgment comes from him, then we should respond to his discipline. See the suffering is coming from his hand and respond by turning him to him in repentance and faith. Knowing that God does what is right and just and for a good purpose, he can never be accused of wrongdoing even when he doesn't show mercy on the fatherless and the widows he is giving what is earned what is deserved he is right he is good he is just and we should respond to his discipline with repentance and faith and so this is a clear message of judgment israel is going to be wiped out from top to bottom palm branch to bulrush, head to tail, nothing left. We'll all be burned away by God's wrath. But there is hope. That's right. Look at uh, chapter 9, or chapter 10, verse 20. Uh, and we're skipping ahead because verse 5, he, he now goes woe to Assyria. So we'll talk about that later. But he, he, he announces God's judgment on the Assyrian army that it's going to use as the instrument of judgment against Israel. They're going to get theirs too. But verse 20, and it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and as such who have escaped of the house of Jacob who will never again depend on him who defeated them, not going to turn to the king of Assyria, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. The remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. And who's mighty God? Emmanuel. The child that is born, his name is Jesus. And so there is going to be a remnant from these ten tribes that will come to repentance and faith in Jesus. And for though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant of them will return. The destruction decreed shall overflow with righteousness, for the Lord God of hosts will make a determined end in the midst of all the land. All right, so there's going to be total destruction, but a remnant will return. There are people from these ten tribes, from Ephraim, from Samaria, from Jacob, from Israel, there are people from these ten tribes that will come to, the, to faith in the Lord Jesus. They will turn to the mighty God, Emmanuel, wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ. They will have faith in Jesus. They will believe in his sinless life. They will believe in his atoning death. 
They will believe in his glorious resurrection. And they will be saved from the wrath to come. And uh, Luke chapter 2, we will run into a woman named Anna who comes from the tribe of Asher. One of the ten northern tribes. And in the book of Revelation, what we see in Revelation chapter 7, 12,000 from all of the 12 tribes sealed uh, by God's grace. And so this is a message of destruction. But God sends his son into the world. And, and you know what? We read through this and uh, that's what we deserve. We deserve God's wrath and God's judgment. But he sent his son into the world to take the punishment that we deserve so that we might be saved from the wrath to come. And he shows that his wrath is filled up with the death of Jesus. And he shows that by raising Jesus from the dead. So in Christ, his anger is turned away and his hand is withdrawn because the price has been paid for all who believe. And a remnant. There will be those from those ten tribes that will turn from their sin and put their trust in Jesus Christ and be saved from the wrath to come. There will be a remnant. And that remnant comes to faith in Christ. All right, questions about God's announcement of judgment on Israel. All right, next week we will look at God's announcement of judgment on Assyria. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger. All right, questions, comments? All right, let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful for your word, Lord, and we, th we are thankful that you are holy and that you are righteous and that you are just. And God, we long for a government that is right and that establishes justice and judgment. And Lord, we long for leaders that would respond to your word, to your truth. And that your truth would lead our leaders instead of our leaders wagging the prophets to lie and to deceive and to tell what they want to hear and tell the people what they want them to hear. Lord, we pray for leaders who will make just laws, who protect the powerless, the widows and the orphans. And Lord, we pray for your grace toward us. And Lord, we're thankful that you have sent your son into the world to take the punishment that we deserve, to fill up your wrath, to drink fully the cup of your wrath so that we might drink from the cup of blessing and that we might look forward to the one who will come and bring justice and righteousness and peace. Come, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and help us 
to live in this difficult world with the hope and the assurance of God with us. And it is in his name, the name of Jesus, we pray.